Can you say that? Can you say, when you look at certain things that happen in your life, is your first thought this? That's part of the plan. How many remember planners? Do they, they have planners still, right? Franklin planner, everyone have one? Was it daytimer? Daytimer. The ones they have now, they have the Panda Planner Pro. And I've learned that your planner is nothing unless it has the word pro at the back end of it. They have Smart Planner, Days Designer Planner. They have ones that are no longer in your hands or on paper, but they're just on your laptop or your computer. How many use a planner? Do you notice most of them are not younger? <laughs> now, there are some younger, right? Planners. Not as many anymore, right? But planners used to be the thing. Uh, project planners, party planners, wedding planners. What are planners for? What are planners for? Don't say planning, the obvious, right? Uh, yeah, organization and what? Details, right? You know, the old adage is the devil's in the details. Well, let me tell you, scripturally speaking, God is in the details. He is in every detail. Spurgeon, the Baptist preacher, said, there is no such thing as a maverick molecule. In other words, even down to that level, God has it all under control. But we know that there are planners. And so I've called tonight's lesson God's planner. And I want you to think of, in this metaphorical sense tonight, that the Easter story and the Gospels at large are God's planner. We're just opening pages of God's planners because if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in their entireties, you'll find that one of the chief aspects of it, not just at Easter, but particularly so, but even before in all the stories, you get this repeated line or something near it where this was fulfilling Scripture. This is what the prophet said. This is what the writer of the Old Testament said. And over and over and over again, you see God's planner. That Easter wasn't something that was accidental. It wouldn't happen, uh, you know, happen chance. Um, it was not a tragedy that everything went wrong. It wasn't not according to plan. In fact, here's our phrase tonight. That was part of the plan. Now, I hope tonight's lesson will help you do this. That you'll be able to say... Now, didn't you hear the request tonight? I was thinking when Dave was giving us prayer requests that he was saying, pray for those who are fighting cancer. And I was thinking in my mind, that must be tough to realize and recognize that's part of the plan. When you have so many deaths in our church in the last few months, that that's part of the plan. Um, when you look at the cross on Easter and see Jesus hanging there, in a torturous death in so many ways that it was part of the plan. And what I want to do tonight is we're going to look at a lot of scriptures, so you may need your turbo fingers to turn to all of them tonight, but we're going to look at them in a number of ways. The first thing I want to do, just to lay the groundwork a little bit, in, as we look at God's planner, is to have you turn to the book of Acts. We're going to take a look specifically, and then we're going to go a little uh, wider and broader, we're going to look at the word plan and how it works around the Easter story. And I want to see tonight, not just generically, as I've stated so far, that God has a plan. He actually has an Easter planner, and we're going to look at that. But it's more than that. I want you to see down to the detail in so many different ways how God has a plan for everything that happens 
in Jesus' life, and particularly at Easter. So we're going to look at some of them. Now, Acts is looking back at the fulfillment of God's Easter planner. So we're going to look at them. Acts 2.23. I'll start with 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up, underline it, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So here we, ready? We have, and I want you to think about this in your mind. If you're making a little chart on your paper, if you're taking notes, do it this way. On one side put God's plan, and the other side put man's plan. All right? Because both of them plan. Both of them plan when it comes to Jesus and his death. In fact, you don't have to turn there. John eleven fifty three. 53, after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it says from that day, John eleven fifty three, 53, the religious leaders made plans to put him to death. And they did. In fact, you see, if you read the rest of that gospel, how they carried out that plan and all the things that they do. And they got Judas to do their work for them to some degree. And, and they had plans. In fact... They were so upset by the raising of Lazarus that the next chapter in John 12, 10, it says, and they made plans to put Lazarus to to death also. So man has plans. They make plans. Easter was, in one sense, although subordinate sense, it was the plan of man to have Jesus killed. It says so in Scripture. Acts chapter 4 and verse 28 The scripture quoted in verse 25 through the mouth of David, your servant. This is Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now that's part of God's planner because that generic prophecy in chapter 2, generic meaning of Psalm 2, now is filled in with names because who are the kings of the earth and the rulers who gathered together? Well, he tells you, for truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Who are they? Both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. So now you know, see God's planner said, here it is, wide version. Now let me tell you who those exact actors on the stage of my plan are. And he names them for him because you know Why? To do whatever your hand, listen, and your plan had predestined to take place. So God predestined and he planned that Jesus would die. And he planned that he would die the way he planned it. And Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and Israel would all have a part in it. All of that was in, written in God's planner. Chapter 5, if you would, turn over in verse 38. It's not only that God has a planner for Jesus' life, and especially Easter, but he has a plan for his disciples' lives. One of the leaders, who's a very famous rabbi, stands up, and he, uh, Gamaliel, and he says this in verse 36. I'm sorry, verse 38. Acts 5, 38. So in the present case, I tell you, Keep away from these men, meaning the disciples, and let them alone. Here's his reason or wisdom. For if, he says, for if this plan or 
or, uh, is, or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. So he understands man makes plans, but man's plans are limited and can be changed, and ultimately they will fail when? But if it is of God, if it's God's plan, what is Gamaliel, not a believer, what does he know about God's plans versus man's plans? You will not be able to throw it down. You won't be able to knock it down. You, we'd say today, you won't be able to stop it. He says, you might even be found opposing God. In other words, you can't knock down God's plans any more than you could knock God down. See, that's the greatness of God's plans. Whatever God writes in his planner always comes to pass. Acts 27, verses 42 and 43. Not only Jesus' disciples, but also the apostle Paul. Man had plans when the storm came and they thought the ship was going to wreck, they were going to kill all the, the uh, criminals or the ones in chains. That's what Roman soldiers did to make sure they didn't get away. They had plans. But look what happens because God had plans for Saul and what he was going to do for the gospel and the kingdom. Acts 27, verse 42. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. So God put it in his mind. They were going to kill him, but one soldier, the one attached to Paul, said, no, I don't want that plan to happen. So he delivers him. See, God's plans usurp authority over and are sovereign over man's plans. Now, how detailed is that? It's true in Jesus' life, the disciples' life. It was true in Paul's life. How much so? Now, we're going to look at it if you want to look at it together with me. God's planner if you want to go to the next slide, God's planner is like our planners. They have sections. If you remember having a planner, there's a yearly planner. It gives you the whole view of the year. There's monthly planners. There's weekly planners. Can I tell you, God has it all planned out that wide. He knows what you're going to do. He knows everything that's going to happen in your life in 2022. He knew about the pandemic. He knew how long it would last. He knew the time where we're going to get over it. He knows every detail about it. So I want to break it down, if you would, God's Easter planner, all right? And I'm going to go through Easter itself, since we're coming up on it, and I hope that to give you great consolation and confidence about how God has detailed sovereignty and control of every aspect of Easter. And if that's true, let me argue from the greater to the lesser, it'll also be true in your life. So let's look at them. Jesus's, I call to-do list. There's a lot of things that Jesus is going to have to be and do and go places. He has all of them to be there on a certain time, and that's even how specific God's planner is. So we're going to look at one at a time. The first one is Easter when. When he had to be places, um, and that is the hour. So if you'll turn to John's gospel. I'm sorry, we're going to do the when. Yes, yeah, right. John chapter 2. Now get ready because we're going to look at a bunch of them in a row. The key phrase, it's worth your study way more than we're going to give it time tonight, and it's the little phrase, the hour. Okay? Remember weekly planners? You got yearly, monthly, weekly, and they even have hourly on there. What are you doing today at 4 o'clock? I got an appointment. I'm doing it. God's planner has hourly appointments. It means, I'll show you what it means. It's all through Jesus' life. Now watch. 
Observe this. It's from the beginning of his life. Now, it is talking about, at least many of them are, about the time he's going to die on the cross. But he starts talking about the hour in the beginning of his ministry. It doesn't happen, obviously, as you know, to the end of his ministry. But literally, for three years plus, three years, yearly, monthly, weekly, hourly, he's talking about and moving toward this goal years out from when it's actually going to happen. Why? Because God has the macro picture of Jesus' life, and yours, and mine, and the micro picture. He has it all down in his planner. John 2, 4, the wedding of Cain of Galilee. She wants Jesus to help him because the wine has run out, and that's an embarrassment socially. Jesus said to her, woman, not disrespectful, that was a common term, what does this have to do with me? Underline it. My hour has not yet come. You want me to do a miraculous thing? You want me to show and identify who I am? You want me to turn these wa- this wa- water into wine and put it in these pots, which recognize this Levitical thing? He, it's not my time, Jesus says. It's not my time. Now, he does the miracle, still performs it, but he wants her to know God is sovereign over my time, how and when I reveal myself and who I am to people and the way that I do it. And from the very outset, this is his first miraculous thing. It's number one sign in John's gospel, and the first half of the book is the book of signs. This is the first one. And he wants his own mother to know from the outset, see, that God has designed it. He understands everywhere I go, everything I do, when I say it, what I do, how I do it, is all planned by God. Chapter, let me go over a little bit more. Chapter 7 and verse 30. I'm not going to give them all to you, but there are more for your study. John 7 and verse 30. Let me read verse 8, 28, starting with that. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Why weren't they able to get him? Why weren't they arresting him? Because his hour had not yet come. See, he was... No one's going to stop the hour. You know what the hour is? It's God's plan. Jesus was going to the cross. That's why he came. And he was literally unstoppable until that hour came. Chapter 8 and verse 20, just a page over. Verse 19, they said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would also know my father. These words he spake in the treasury as he taught the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. He was saying some pretty strong words. In fact, later on in this very same chapter, he says, you know who your father is? Your father is the devil. (laughs) And they want to stone him, but they don't stone him. You know why? Because it wasn't in God's planner. They weren't going to be able to do anything because he wasn't going to die by being arrested or stoned or any of those things. He was going to die on the cross. That was all part of God's plan. Chapter 12 and verse 23. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Verse 21. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come. Now see the tense verb change? 
My hour has not yet come, but now we've entered Passion Week. Now we've entered the Easter week. And now he's changing the tense. You know why? Because for three years he's been saying it hasn't come, it hasn't come, it is coming, it is coming. But now he says it has come. The hour has come, he says in verse 23. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls in the earth, he goes, he's talking about himself, he's going to die. Verse number 27, he reiterates it. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Oh no, what does he say? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. This is the central point and focus and purpose of my life, he says. See, the hour is coming. He is sovereign over all of it. Let me belabor the point a little bit more. Chapter 13 and verse 1. What kind of confidence would you have? What would you be able to say? And where would you be able to go? And what would you be able to do if you had confidence that you lived out in every day and every way the purpose of God, that you knew what the hour about your life was for, and you were doing it all the time? Here's what Jesus can do, one of them. Now before the feast of the Passover, 13.1, when Jesus knew, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world, you know what it made him be able to do? Love his own. How would he love them? He loved them so much that he would get down on his knees and wash their feet. See, he took up a towel. See, knowing that God is in control means you can do all kinds of things that nobody thinks you should be doing. And you can say things and go places and do things. Why? Because you're totally confident that you're living out in a world where everything is under God's sovereign control. Chapter 13 and verse 1, and then we're going to look at chapter 17 and verse 1. One of the last things before the actual Garden of Gethsemane where it all gets pretty intense, Jesus wants to prepare himself, watch, one more time with a reminder of how sovereign God is. And he begins his prayer like this in 17.1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said this, Father, the hour has come. See, here's what he says. And let me ask you this. Jesus' whole life, his whole life, from the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry, was about coming to this hour. We might be able to say this. His whole life pointed to the cross. See, that's the question that Easter asks all of us. If you believe as Jesus did, and by the way, he didn't just believe it, he behaved it, he lived it. You know what believing it and behaving it means? that you can do exactly what God wants you to do every day, including crosses. You can live and take up your cross. You can die to yourself. You can live sacrificially for others. You can take up a towel. You can take up a cross. And you can do things that no one else thinks that you can do. Why? Because you know exactly what God wants and that he's sovereign over your life. See, that's what God wants you to get tonight. That everything about your life, even the hard things that you struggle with, the suffering, the difficulties, the humility, the towels and the crosses. See, we can say this to them all. That's part of the plan. That's just part of the plan. So the Easter when, how about this, the Easter where? The places, not just the hour or the time, but the places of it. And I want you to turn to a co- just a couple here in Luke's gospel. Now we're going to look at briefly, real quickly, Easter geography, because the places matter. 
Luke 4.17 uses this word, the place, this little phrase, the place, the first time. But it doesn't refer to a geographical place. When Jesus was giving his first temple talk, or, or I should say synagogue talk, they bring the scroll of Isaiah, which was enormous, massive, thick, and he rolled it open, and he was going for the Isaiah 61, which is the back of the scroll, so you had to take the time. He unrolled it, and, he, and the Bible says, and he rolled it to, and here's the phrase, the exact place. He unrolled that huge scroll, came to the very one little place where he wanted to read the scripture, and that's what the word refers to. It's an exact place. It's not generic. It's not broad. It's very narrow. There was one line in Isaiah's scroll, oh, the entire scroll. He opened it up wide, and he got to that one little place, and that was the place he wanted to read, and it was talking about his fulfillment of the year of Jubilee. Now, the rest of the time in Luke, here's what he uses it for. The good Samaritan, it says in Luke 10, 32, came to the exact place where the guy who was beaten half to death and half naked was left. The exact, it wasn't just generic. There was a place in the road. It was familiar to people. He came to the exact place where he was. Chapter 19 and verse 5, we get a little closer to the passage. It says, Jesus was walking through Jericho, and I've had the, the privilege to walk through there. They have a sycamore tree, obviously not the one original for Jesus' time. But he walks to, and the Bible says, he stopped at the exact place where Zacchaeus was in the branch of the tree. The exact place. You know why? Because Jesus was on a mission. He was purposely walking, and he stopped at the exact place where he could talk to Zacchaeus because, see, that was God's sovereignty in reaching Zacchaeus that day. 2240, there was a place on the Mount of Isles where Jesus took his disciples, and they would go there often and pray, and here's what it says, and Judas knew the exact place where Jesus was. See, when it comes to betraying Jesus... Judas knew the exact place because God had planned for Judas to do that. And he knew the exact place to go, the exact time to be there, and he knew where they were and what they would be doing because Judas had been there before. Last one, Luke 23:33. There says that they came to the exact the place, the place of the skull which was Golgotha. So see, God has moved it along. He's shown us all through Luke's gospel that see, it's not just when, it's where. Can, let me tell you this. Do you know, and maybe tonight someone has a story, I, I would love to hear it, that the when and the where went together. You were at the right place at the right time, we would say in 21st century vernacular, and God did this for you, and God did this or used you, and, and maybe there are stories tonight that we could tell about that. But see, I want you to know Let's build an argument. It's not just the when. It's that God had the perfect timing. But it's that, see, Jesus was at the right place, or some people would look at the wrong place, but he was at the place God wanted him to be. And sometimes it was praying and being betrayed, and sometimes it even meant dying on the cross. But can I tell you, look, look at those stories and say, well, if he just wasn't there at that time, Maybe that would have never happened, but you know it wasn't true. You know why? Because Jesus went to meet them. See, because he was in a plan. That was part of God's 
plan for him. And that's how he saw the soldiers. That's how he saw Judas's kiss. That's how he saw the cross. He could look at the worst things that had ever happened in anyone's life and say that's part of God's plan. The who, the Easter who, briefly we've already looked at it. We saw the prophecy from Psalm 2 and now we can say this, standing before Herod and having his soldiers mock him and put the robe on him, he could look at that and say how humiliating, but he didn't say that. That's part of God's plan. Pilate and his conversation with him and all the things that Pilate said to him and how he was trying to rescue him, quote unquote, and he eventually did not, that's part of God's plan. You could look at Caiaphas and the religious leaders and the Jews who mocked him on the cross. All of those things, all the conversations, all the way that people talked to him, he trusted God. All you gotta do is read 1 Peter chapter 2 one time, verses 21 through 24, and you'll know that Jesus says when they reviled him, he did not revile in return. When they mocked him, he did not say anything back. He didn't threaten when they threatened him. Why? See, how is it possible that someone can say all kinds of stuff against you? Let's say it this way. Cuss you out, tell you how awful you are, lie about you, slander you, gossip you. How is it possible that you don't treat them the same way they're treating you? How do you control yourself? How do you keep your tongue under control when you know God is in control? See, because them, those people saying to you, and saying those things about you, that's all part of the plan. Can you say that? It's part of the plan. David was being mocked by Shimei, remember? And the guy with him loves David and says, let me go cut that dead dog's head off. Because he was saying all kinds of stuff about David and throwing rocks at him along the side of the road. Remember that? David says, no, no, no. I'm not treating him like he treated me. What does he say? He says, maybe God intended him to say those things. And maybe, maybe God will take the bad he's given me and return it to me for good. How do you say that? Only when you believe God wanted him to say those things. God wanted him to say those things. See, David would say it this way. That was part of the plan. That was part of the plan. Not only the where, not only the when, not only the who, but the Easter what? What? Tell me something that happened to Jesus on the cross that was fulfillment of Scripture. Anyone? Not a bone was broken. So that was something that didn't happen, right? Because you know on the cross to make your death faster because you were on a seat and then you pushed up on the nail that was between both of your ankles. So you pulled up on the nails and pushed up like this so you wouldn't be asphyxiated and you had to have your legs to do that. If they broke your shins, then you couldn't do it anymore and you would asphyxiate faster and that would make the job for the soldiers quicker. That's how, so they would take a pipe, they would come by and they would break your shins and you couldn't push up anymore. Jesus was already dead. And they, didn't, they did the guy on his one hand on the other side, but they didn't do him. Why? Because that wasn't part of the plan. See, it goes both ways, no? See, this is part of the plan, but this didn't happen to me. So you know what we can say? Look at the sovereignty of God. It's not just what he does let happen to you, but what he doesn't let happen to you. Have you ever been on, <laughs> when I was driving uh, McKenzie, she doesn't know if you probably, you know, not McKenzie, 
Molly, I should have said. Molly, I was driving her to work, not work, school when I was a kid. We, I was 17. She was six. We were going to our Christian school and as a wintertime, and I got on a, a spin, and I started going like this. I went from my side of the road all the way across the four lanes to the other side of the road. There was a car that was in front of me. I slid between this way and a car who came right after me, and I missed all of them. We hit the curb, bounced off it, and we stopped and looked at each other and said, that's not possible. Right? I'm in a tornado, and the tornado comes down the block. I'm sitting on the back porch. I'm sitting on, this is how old I am. We're sitting on the ice cream maker. They, do they have those anymore? And it was salt on top of the ice, and my sister is doing this, and I'm sitting on it for stability. Down my, the end of the block is our friend's house. The tornado comes right over the top of their house and straight down the street like it was a car driving for us. And so my sister, and I, my sister just screams. We run into the house. The scream from my sister my mom, who's on the phone because we're having a block party and we're going to have it outside. And all of a sudden, my mom hears her scream. She drops the phone and turns like this and a two-by-four went right through the wall through the phone where my mom was standing. My neighbor, his house was run over, like completely run over by the tornado and he was died instantly. This is right across the street. No, not lying to you, no longer from here to the other side of that wall. His whole house was demolished. Every ha everything in our house, all the windows were blown out. We had a 15-foot boat in my backyard, and the owner lived three weeks away, three, three blocks away. Three weeks away, that'd be really bad. Three blocks away, right? So this, all this stuff's happening. We had a Siamese cat, and we couldn't find it for days. We found it. All of its hair was gone. It was such a nervous wreck from being in the storm that it lost all of its hair. And I, I don't really have a lot of mer I didn't like that cat, but there it is. Um, but you look at that, and, and how, let me tell you, a boat in my backyard, my mom almost got, you know, and nothing, and there was $10,000 of lumber in my front yard that wasn't from my house. That's crazy. I saw pictures of it. Um, we were on the front page of the newspaper in little Robinson, Illinois, a little teeny town, right? How does that happen? Because it wasn't in God's plan. He knows that you were going to be stuck with me for a while, and that wasn't going to happen. Right? See, it's not only that, but what he didn't have happen that day. See, I wasn't the house that got smashed. Right? See, God, have you had stories like that? Oh, that didn't happen. I can't believe that didn't happen. I can't believe that never was said or that was never done. See, God has all of it under control. All of it under control. Can I tell you one more line and we'll be done? I wrote it down. Here's what it, I, we tend to think that when things are out of our control, that they are out of control. I'll say it again. We tend to think when things are out of our control, that they are out of control. We are not independent actors on a stage. Can I tell you this? Things may be truthfully out of our control, but they are never out of his control. Never. Easter, it looked like it. It looked like the devil had won and darkness had won the day. But in turn, it was the greatest day of victory ever. 
God was in fully control. I mean of every detail, and we've seen them encapsulized tonight. The when, the where, the who, the what, all of it. And can I tell you this? Take great courage, saints of God. He's got a planner for your life too. He knows, the how, he knows the family that you were born into and the background that you have, and he understands the weaknesses that you face and the diseases. He knows why you have to take those needles and those shots every day, and he knows what happened in your marriage, and he knows what your kids are doing. He knows, let me tell you this, he knows the job or the lack you have and the money you don't have, and he knows all that. He knows what's going on in your body physically. He knows what's happening in your mind. He knows the loneliness. He has a planner for you. And not one single thing. In fact, psalmist says he keeps all of our tears in a bottle. He knows the stress, the pressure, the fear, the anxiety, the depression. He knows all of it. He's got a planner for you in your life. And he's waiting for you to acknowledge that he's in control and be able to say by his grace, that was part of the plan. That was part of the plan. Mike, given your kidney, See, that was part of the plan. John, having a donor, right? That was your sister, right? Part of the plan. It's all part of the plan. The, ho- the, the, the store burning down, that was part of the plan, right? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes tonight? And we're going to close in prayer. And I want you to pray to God on your own, in your own words, Something to the effect, Father, help me to so clearly see, based on the model of Easter, that you are in control. Father, it may, not, it may be out of my control, but it's never out of yours. Tell him the times, tell him the things in your life tonight that it seems like it's out of control. Let him know. Tell him tonight. Acknowledge to him, you are sovereign. You are in control of every detail. I believe, God, that you have a planner for me, just like you had for Jesus. Every detail, down to the unbelievable details. The day, the month, the hour, the people, everything. Tell them this. Because you're in control, I don't have to try to be. We all want to be sovereign, but there's only one God. And folks, we are not it. Tell them, God, I'm okay with your planner. Help me to be able to say by faith, That was part of your plan. Heavenly Father, I don't know in the lives of everyone here tonight all of the difficulties, problems, obstacles, barriers, walls that they're facing in their lives, things that seem insurmountable, overwhelming. But I know this. It's all part of the plan. And that you are sovereign but not sovereign in a detached way, sovereign in a loving, compassionate, and kind way. Father, I pray you'll help us as we look at Easter this week, as we look at the cross, perhaps afresh and anew, that we would not only see your death for our sins, but we would see that you're in control of it all. Not only the story of Jesus, but the story of every Jesus follower there's ever been. And I pray tonight that we would also understand that people around us, men, make plans. But God, your plans will prevail. Help us to draw great confidence in that, that we might live differently, that we might pray differently, and be all that you want us to be. 
because it's all in your plan. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.